Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Good evening and welcome to the latest Greenshaw Learning Trust Edu Book Club session. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow and uh, Dave Tushingham and I are th- oh, just so thrilled to be joined this evening by Amanda Wilson, Letitia Moran and Bav Taylor. So I'll start with Amanda first and um, on X you are known as Amanda Wilson 910. That's how mm. you can follow you and see the brilliant work that you do and you share and for example you had a fantastic conference I think a a meeting with a load of leaders Mm -hmm. for asking questions and things the other day and that's part of I think what where our discussion is going to go this afternoon because you are a primary head teacher you've had over 20 years experience in education and amongst many other things you're the founder of the first 100 days head teacher conference and also um have published some fantastic books the one that we're going to be talking about today and focusing on is letters to a young generation aspiring school leaders and given some of the conversations we've had with some of our colleagues as well um there's a lot of excitement in our trust and people we've spoken to about this session this afternoon these conversations and these discussions that we're going to be having and dave will talk more about how um, this book and the focus links in with our previous sessions as well um, and, and, and the why behind it. But we are truly, truly grateful to all of you for this afternoon um, and, and, and we can't wait to hear more about it. And just very slightly before I hand over, uh, Letitia is Senko at one of our schools and Bav is a head teacher at another one of our schools as well. So we're thrilled that you've all given your time to this this afternoon. Um, And we can't wait to find out more about what it is we can do so we can do what we do better our school communities. Um, Dave, over to you. Thank you very much, Rian. Thank you so much, Amanda, for, for speaking with us today. We are so incredibly privileged and grateful for your time. Um, as Rhi said, such an important and urgent topic that we're talking about um, today, and we're just looking forward to learning lots and lots from you. And I said um, in the green room beforehand, um, it will be less of us uh, talking today and more um, listening and, and learning um, from, from the experts in the room um, about what we can do tomorrow to support uh, the Bain community, to support all of our communities um, in uh, making sure that um, everybody has uh, that best chance of success. And and it's um, and it's something which is, um, it, it sort of, it doesn't take much to say that it just doesn't make sense. Um, the, the way um, the, the community is, is set up at the moment for the inequality that, that exists. Um, and, and there's clearly lots more that we need to be doing. Um, there are um, so many issues to, to talk about today and so many practical things that we need to be thinking about actively and sharing um, through this platform. So really, really looking forward. Um, to doing that. And and this session is designed uh, primarily for leaders. This is a leadership session, um, but uh, we're hoping that, that all teachers that will be tuning in will um, get something um, from the conversations that we have and be able to try something tomorrow in their setting to be able to think about what they can do differently, what they can do to support uh, the communities that they serve, um, so that everybody um, has that equal chance of, of being successful. And 
And the the chapters uh, or the, the writing that's in the book that you've compiled um, gives gives a really sort of um, supportive range of, um, of of letters which which people can can read and see see their their role models in. And I think that's what I took away from the book is that um, that as growing up I I had my role models, I had my people that I aspired to be like, um, and uh, and and offering those role models um, to to the community um, to to the Bain community and is so is so so important because um because the as we as we reached out for the book club it we found it very hard to to connect with um sort of certain authors um because we didn't have that um that network and and to have to have somebody that that you can um look up to that you can sort of learn from that you can read and go yes i can do this i need to be doing this um and and the letter that we looked at particularly from emmanuel i think really sort of summed that up well um, so, so it's one of those things that, as I say, we're looking forward to learning loads from you. We really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for spending the time. Um, and and as we as we talk through, please, please do make sure um, that the conversation goes where it needs to go. That you you help to educate us. You help to make sure that we get things right. That we do things better, and that we make sure that that we we give um, the support and and the the sort of the platform for. For all um thank you amanda so much for your time and and i don't know if you wanted to just sort of start off by sharing if there's anything that you wanted to talk about um maybe from the introduction or, or from the book or to just sort of basically take us on that journey no pressure um <laughs> <laughs> um thank you for inviting me to be a part of this book club it, it's it's lovely i do feel a bit left out you know not being part of the greenshaw learning trust but you know i'll get over that i guess um <laughs> But, but it, it's, I think, I think the, the book was published on the 30th of September. And I think for me, the response that it's had has just, it, it's kind of just made it for me. It's been, it, it's met the the aims, I think. Um, it's exceeded the aims that I had for it. I, it's the third book in the series. So I, I, I started with the boys book back in 2014. And I did a girls book in 2016. And then it was last year, I, I was um, sort of in the midst of my, my master's degree and my, my dissertations on the experience of coaching for black head teachers. And it suddenly felt like, and, and it's very strange for me, in the middle of my master's, it felt like the right time to do another book as if I didn't have enough on my plate already. But I thought, you know, hey, well, you know, why not? Um, but I think, I think it was also the, the level of conversation that was happening at the time about the teacher workforce census and the fact that, you know, whether it's black, Asian, um, you know, those individuals who are, whether you want to use the term global majority or, or, or minority, black and Asian teachers and leaders were without doubt in the lower numbers compared to their white counterparts. And I think when you looked at it in that way, there was such a stark contrast, you know, for me as a black head teacher to know that I was essentially in, in 1%. Um, you know, if I was to drill down to black other, I'd probably be able to identify myself in the statistics because, you know, the the box that says, you know, I'm not, I'm not, my, you know, my, my dad's Ghanaian, my mum's Jamaican, so I go in the black other box. Um, and that's even less of a percentage. But I think for me, that was the starting point for the book. And knowing that in total, I was looking for within England about 200 black head teachers out of about 19,000 head teachers, it's like, it's just, it's just ridiculous. But I, you know, I had a positive response and sort of, you know, reached out to anyone that might be aware of somebody who 
identified as black who felt they might want to contribute to the book. And there was no, it was similar to the other books. So when I, when I invited people to, part, to participate, there was no set criteria in terms of you have to write about this subject. It was just write a letter that would inspire the next generation. And so the authors took it down whatever direction they wanted to take it down. And, and I think that is what stood out for me that although you know, none of them, there was no collusion involved. None of them got, we did get together in a room and decided, okay, you take this bit and you take that But Everybody took it wherever their sort of spirits led them. And they're very different, but there's a thread that runs through all of them, um, which I identified when I was doing my, my, my dissertation in terms of the coaching side of it. But just in terms of, you know, for some, they had the challenges for others, they didn't. You know, I'm very fortunate in my career. It's been a, a pretty smooth run for me. But for others, you, you've seen the, the, the lows that they've experienced and, you know, the, the, the challenges that they've had. And I think the responses that have come as a result are from people who won for, for some, you know, had never met a black head teacher, never knew they existed, didn't know where to reach out to one, to that representation, which is so important. Um, and three, just knowing that there is somebody now that they could go to, they need that support and encouragement. And, and the feedback that I've had and from the panel discussions that we've had, it's been so encouraging that for me, it's just like, okay, yeah, I'm on the right track. It may never, you know, be a bestseller. Uh, and that's because of the, you know, again, the small numbers of, of people that it appeals to. However, those that are touching base with it, it's having the impact. And even from, you know, those who are not black, um, who are learning and then getting that understanding. And, you know, and I appreciate, you know, the forum that you're providing this evening to have that learning and understanding and willingness to kind of say, okay, what is it like? Why is it so different? And what can we do to make that change? I think it, it's, it's discussions and forums like this that will really make the difference. It does, and, and, and it has not already for, say, Dave and myself with having the opportunity to have a look at this book, mm. when you say, thinking that maybe it's a, a sort of a small proportion of people that it might, or small a, smaller proportion of people it might be targeted at. Actually, Dave and I have found it incredibly helpful because it gives us an opportunity to to hear a little bit more and and have maybe a bit more of a language or a way of articulating something or a prompt for discussions like like today mm -hmm. um, is is going to bring. So it's the start of of our journey and hopefully lots of other conversations that will happen about this within all sorts of different communities and and I'm going to if that's okay I didn't know if it'd be worth um I mean Bav would you like to come in and and, and join and have some discussions here and then Letitia we can come to you afterwards if if that would help and then we can sort of see how how the discussion in the session goes organically there but I just sort of wanted to hand it over so that you didn't think that Dave and I would leave it and we'd sort of hand it over to you three as much as possible. Yeah, no, yeah, no, thank you. And Amanda, um, we've never met, but can I just say, I, I'm not an ex-user of Twitter, whatever you call it, but I, I'm on LinkedIn. So I've come across, and I said to Rihanna when we spoke last week, um, I've come across your book recently um, and then recognised a few faces and names in it. And that's what's inspired me in the conversation that I had with Rihanna it was last week. Um, Having looked at the uh, teacher workforce um, um, document that came out a couple of years ago and it's been updated, updated, that's what's really inspired me because I'm in my third year's headship. Remember, I've been a senior leader, um, I believe this is my 10th year, um, and I've been fortunate to have worked as a senior leader in 
inner London, then just north of Birmingham, and then West London, and then I'm in Berkshire. So I've worked within communities that are ethnically diverse, mm. less so. So my current school is less so. But as I say to colleagues and I say to students is there's nothing wrong with that. That's the reality of the makeup of the country. Our cities or larger towns are more ethnically mixed and then compared to others. But having looked at that report and, you know, uh, there's some great work with um, um, out there, whether it's nationally, internationally, on, to use your phrase, the global majority, um, especially in places like education. And I have a, a real interest in this as a South Asian Indian man. The reason I say this is because the black community, and apologies, I'm using it as a homogenous group, are doing some great work, like yourselves in writing books and promoting it. And yet within the South Asian community, I feel, and especially males, there isn't. You look at that um, workforce um, um, data that was shared. When you drill in, looking at head teachers in particular, Bear in mind, I think this is a year old now, I am one of 44 male Indian head teachers in the United Kingdom. Mm. When you take South Asia as a, a region, so mm. Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Indian and other, it's just over 100 mm. male um, uh, head teachers of an Asian background. And that then really made me think, because when I look at my counterparts that I either went to school with or university, and it's that very stereotypical Asian doctors, dentists, you know, they work in that field. And that's what I grew up with, friends who are in the NHS. And when you look at the NHS, when mm. you look at the ethnic mix, mm. it's, it's, it's starkly different mm. to what the education system in the UK is. And yet, as an Asian Indian man, the value of education right from an outset was top-notch. Mm. My parents were born in this country, they were East African, like a lot of Indians who came in the 60s, 70s, whether that's Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Mozambique. Education was always at the fore of our conversation, even though my parents' understanding of the British education system was limited. Mm. And high aspirations was key to that. So we were always told to become doctors or dentists or it's equivalent. Uh, but I went down the route of teaching right from the age of 21. And having done reading and research over the past year, because I've really gained a fascination with this, is why is there such a lack of people from ethnic groups, especially at the top end, when I talk about hierarchy within schools? And one of the pieces of research is really fascinating, actually, because the numbers get smaller and smaller and smaller as promotion within schools um, exists. And one piece that I read, and I think it came from the NFER um, report that was written a little while ago, uh, that having a senior leader, uh, even one from an ethnic group, helps to retain teachers from an ethnic group within that school. The retention rate is significantly higher, even if there was one who was not white. So that point that you made, Amanda, about representation, so key visibility and yet the data also shows that the, the, it's clustered in bigger cities like london naturally it is but even there it's lagging mm. so the, the point i should make is the work that you're clearly doing in um, making it that, that those lived experiences they are so amazing and what you're putting in the book then allows people like myself to actually go it's great work that's been done here but People like myself, who are in such a minority in the mm. South Asian culture, need to do a bit more because education is so valued. 
and yet there's not many of us in the education system. Mm. And the same could be said for, you know, for, for, for East Asians as well. Because yes. you know, there, there's, you know, I've got a couple of teachers from China in, in my school, um, or, you know, his, um, uh, uh, heritage. And, and again, it's because very often with these conversations, for whatever reason, when you think about, you know, when, when people think about the, you know, the minorities, it is the, the black African, black Caribbean, that it comes to the forefront. Um, and maybe that's because of the things that happen in the media and because the things that happen in the media are happening to this group of people. So it, it's it's more, you know, it's more more obvious. But, you know, as an example, I, I had to educate one of my year sixes last year because he made a, uh, you know, a racial slur towards um, one of the teachers. And, and I had to explain to him that just because she's not black doesn't mean to say that she doesn't experience racism. Yes. And, and it's just, you know, it's just as prevalent, it's just as disgusting and it's just as unacceptable. Um, and I think, you, you know, you talked about the, the retention of staff when there's a black member of senior leadership. And the first thing that came to mind was the fact that there's, there's a sense of safety. Because if you feel that there's somebody at that level, whether, you know, depending on the, you know, regardless of the report, and this came out in the panel discussion this, a couple of weekends ago, you still feel a sense of safety that, okay, at least there's somebody else that will understand what I'm going through, that will understand what I'm experiencing, and will kind of get me as an individual. And I think that's what's really important sometimes with that representation comes safety as well. Really valid point, yeah. Just to add to that, just to, I, when I first, and I'll, that whole lived experience um, panel, I think is really important here because it's that which enables the students to see that this is a reality for all of us or many of us when i first came into leadership um i worked in inner london as an assistant head teacher and my surname's taylor which can be misleading actually um, and i'd had a conversation with a parent um, who was white british about something that we were working on and again lived reality for her she got back to me and said things like this ethnic group are taking all our jobs all that, because little did she know she was speaking to someone who was not white because i introduced myself as mr taylor and that was Fine, and I say fine because that was a lived experience for her. Mm. We consolidated. This is so memorable. I met her, recorded her into a meeting, and visibly her face changed because when she saw who Mr. Taylor was, vis-a-vis -vis the Mr. Taylor that she was um, speaking with, and that then really made me think: is those conversations from parents and mm. is 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 um, a lived experience mm. is translated into children? who don't then see people like us within classrooms. Yeah. So we also help to educate the white majority yeah. of cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about helping people of colour or ethnic groups, but it's also helping to educate the white majority. Really? Yeah. yeah. Might be a good opportunity for me to jump in. <laughs> At this point, that was a natural... You read my uh, mind, Letitia. pause upon there. Um, firstly, I just want to say, um, Amanda, thank you for putting this piece of work together. Um, I'm currently reading the book and it was recommended to myself after I had a conversation with one of our Send Improvement leads, just talking about, as you say, Bav, that lack of representation. And she it really came out of a question that she'd asked me about what is the greatest challenge within your role? And I said, well, I, I, I talked a few things, Send, you know, that, um, I suppose gave the right answers um, that I thought that she wanted to hear. Um, but then I think she kind of teased it out of me, not knowing the response that she was going to get from myself, that actually it is that lack of representation. Mm -hmm. And I think really interesting, Bav, that you talked about 
the ethnic groups that exist within our global majority as well. Um, because it's not every day that you come across somebody in teaching that has that is from the same country as you, or in my case, from the same island. Um, that's even rarer, especially when you've got a population of 52,000 people. <laughs> where are you from? St. Kitts and Nevis. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, most people say where, so um, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of used to that. Um, just next to Antigua. Um, but it is just so, so, so important. Um, mm. But it really is quite nuanced when you think about, obviously, the different identities that exist within that global majority um, I might be able to relate to a member of staff who is of Caribbean or African heritage, but there will even be things that they will share about their cultures mm-hmm. or specific to their cultures, which is still even a learning opportunity mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, you know, is, 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 is great for, for us as individuals. But like you said, it is about educating the majority as well. Mm-hmm. And naturally, I think that when we speak, uh, and we we look a certain way and we clearly are seen as representing a group, it does, it is so powerful and it can have so much weight to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just want to thank you, Amanda, for for putting, you know, the wisdom of so many black head teachers that I didn't even know, quite frankly, had existed. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was flicking through the, oh my God, there's another one and there's another one, there's another one. <laughs> then I realised the theme that was running through the book. Um, I'd rushed because I just saw the cover and I'd rushed in and read it without mm. reading um, it. It wasn't until I got through it that I was like, wow, there really are that many Yeah, that you just don't see. Mm-hmm. And then when you reflect upon your own experiences of, uh, I've worked in a number of schools um, like yourself, Bav, um, out of London and um, where I am currently, outside of London, up north in Leeds, um, also Bedford, a really small town where, again, it's very ethnically diverse but Mm. it's quite concentrated in certain schools and in certain areas Um, and actually a drive 10 minutes up the road can be such a different story and a different Mm. experience depending on the demographic of the students Mm. Um, so to to not really see that representation throughout the span of my so far six-year career Mm. um, I think it was really powerful when I read it because Mm. even when you mentioned at the beginning um, some people had never met a black head teacher. Well, you know, I'm meeting a black head teacher for the first time today, um, okay. which is again just just so powerful, yeah, um, and so 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 important. Yeah, and even for me to, you know, I've heard it a lot over the past few months, and still hear it. It's just like, you know, because and it's just it baffles me, and it shouldn't baffle me because the statistics are there. But it's just like it's just it's it's ridiculous and I you know I go into rooms you know and I work in Greenwich which is a very diverse borough and I have to say that in terms of what we're doing as a local authority you know we've got this um a group called Educate Against Racism which has been spearheaded by the Director of Children's Services so it's kind of started right at the top and it's about um tackling racial bias and it's about looking at what we can do as a local authority to one make sure that there's, you know, that support for uh, for black and Asian teachers. It's making sure that, you know, we look at the curriculum, we look at recruitment and retention. So we're looking across the board 
but yeah, even in Greenwich, we still have, when we had a, an aspiring leaders um, event just for uh, Black and Asian leaders, and we, we, you know, we sent out the email to all schools saying it's specifically for this group of people because we knew what the issues were. And that, the group, you know, the Educate Against Racism group is made up of about 21 leaders from different schools in Greenwich of different nationalities. So you've got, you know, you know, white head teachers, you've got Asian head teachers, you've got um, black leaders. It's from sixth form colleges, pr nurseries, primary, secondary. So we've got a whole range. But yet in when we had this conference for the, the, um, the aspiring leaders in the summer term, there are still people there saying, I didn't know there were people like you. And this is within the local authority that I work in. Even in the local authority that I work in, there's only me and one other black head teacher. And what was interesting was that we, um, because we had Professor Paul Miller um, did a video uh, presentation for us, and he gave some really good statistics and you know advice in terms of how we could um, support other leaders um, in terms of things like secondment, shadowing, and that kind of thing. But we broke the data down in Greenwich as well. So the school, the 21 schools that were involved as a spearheading of the Educate Against Racism group, we looked at the, that data the same way that the teacher workforce census had done. And even within that data, when I, we, you know, we did a presentation to teachers and to head teachers and governors, it's like that, that line, that line there, that one person, that's me, that, you know, and you could actually identify me on the Greenwich data for head teachers and deputy head teachers because it's so lacking. Um, and and it's, it, it's, it's sad, I think, you know, that in this day and age, we are still getting to a point where people are saying, I've never met a black head teacher. I've never met an Asian teacher. I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think that I could get to this level of leadership because there's always something that's stopping me. And I think it's that, you know, and this is one of the reasons why in Greenwich we had to talk to the governors, um, school governors um, and the other head teachers because they're the ones that can make the difference. And, and as much as we can meet with the aspiring leaders and say, why don't you do this course? Why don't you do that course? Why don't you do this course? If at the end of the day, they're not getting support in school, all that work is futile. So as much as they could be doing the MPQSL or the MPQH or, you know, MPQ, um, you know, behaviour and pastoral, if they're not then given those opportunities in school, all that work they're doing is, is pointless because they're, they're still being blocked. It's like, yeah, do the course, but then there's nothing that comes after it. It's almost Money. like you need that, um, that buy-in and that support from um, the majority almost um, to kind of push that forward in, in some areas I've found um, and actually how powerful it can be um, from a point of allyship. Mm. If, you know, yeah. if there aren't any black senior leaders or there aren't any um, minority ethnic senior leaders, then actually what can the majority do mm -hmm. to kind of put people in those positions and actually yeah. put that qualification into practice? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And to just add to what you've just said, Amanda, I think the uh, work that needs to happen is multifold. We know this, and there's great piece of work that's been done on the curriculum and how that's then been uh, refined and more representative. But I think what you said earlier about um, recruitment and retention is really key here. Because the data that the um, NFER had um, published, I think last year, showed the application rates for people from ethnic groups was actually proportionately higher than the working population. Mm. And I think this is the applications to ITT, initial teacher training, yeah. were actually higher than the working population. And yet it yeah. decreases yeah. as they get into teaching, retaining, mm. middle leader, senior leader, head teacher. 
and it is so stark and mm. it, it, what the report also suggests is that the gap hasn't narrowed mm. from 20 to 2011 so that's mm. 10 years it's not really changed yeah yeah and Leticia you'd mentioned working in different parts of the country like myself is I mean I've been fortunate enough to have worked with people in schools who, who come from the global majority whether it's black Asian, East Asian, South Asian, uh, and some senior leaders. My school, where I worked in the Midlands, um, not by deliberate choice, but because of the candidacies that were available to the head teacher then, the SLT was really diverse. In fact, mm. it had more ethnic minorities in that SLT than it did white British, mm. which, was which was fascinating. And yet, I work in a borough now, and I'm correct in think I'm saying this. I'm the only non-white head teacher across all secondaries and all primaries. And I know this having going to meetings regularly. So my point I want to make is recruitment into teaching, i.e., initial teacher training providers, mm. and what they do to retain those teachers yeah. is really key here. Yeah. Because and the second part, as I've said, is there's quite a lot of work being done on the curriculum. I think schools are working um, well. In many mm. parts, able mm. to diversify the curriculum. Mm. But, and there's a deliberate but here if we're not doing enough about getting people in the profession that's representative, mm. that the curriculum is slightly futile. Yeah. And we, sorry, Lucisha, because we, we were, I've had so many discussions recently, I can't remember who said it where, but somebody in one of the conversations I've had. We were talking about the fact that you know you've got the ITT, but sometimes you even have to go further back, going into sixth forms because if you don't have the students who think they can aspire to become a teacher because they don't have anyone that 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 looks like them, then again even the starting point isn't going to be there because you know students are going to go into professions where they think okay yeah it's possible for me to to, to break through it's possible for me to make that difference, and so it's even being able to go into um you know secondary schools and sort of sixth form and those of us who represent go in and say this is where I started this is my journey because again it's understanding that everyone's journey is very different in terms of that that whether it's becoming a teacher or however far up you get it's it's for students to be able to say yeah this is this is maybe your starting point but you know there is somebody that's get got to this point or this point rather than them sort of going into the finance or the medical fields or the fields where they see themselves more often um, and so therefore think they've got more of a chance of success. Yeah. Mm. I think that's really, really important, actually. And, and linking back to what Bab said about those those kind of expected or, or even what they become almost norms um, mm. within certain communities that you're just going to go off and, and you know, pursue a particular career. And actually, I, when um, Bab was, we were talking about the curriculum, um, and ICT, it really made me think about also what is the curriculum for um, the global majority alongside, you know, obviously just the day to day training, how to, to be a teacher and an, and an educator. Mm. Um, and if I reflect really actually upon um, my ITT uh, that I did back in 2015, I'm going to say, um, there wasn't any of that. And actually mm. what I learned was um in a very harsh way actually was the education around um, kind of like the um, the professional politics that surround obviously the profession and what it means to be um, part of the global majority or what I felt at the time was very much um, the ethnic minority. Mm. Um, and if you don't have those examples, 
and that's not modelled for you, I've, I've often found and even still struggle with today um, that we kind of end up assimilating whiteness mm. in order to present as being professional. Mm. Um, so there'll be times when I don't even recognise the sound of my own voice because I've taken the bass out of it or mm. you know, I will just inflect the way that I say certain things mm. differently or if there's a way that I, I know there's a, there'll be a Caribbean dialectical way that I would say something, you know, just in my day-to-day life. And I think, oh, I will need to revisit that and mm. how I'm going to respond to that instead. It's, there's a lot of thinking mm-hmm. that goes into every, I find at least every mm. interaction that I have with a member of staff on a daily mm. basis. And just to have that representation to see a knowledgeable other um and actually, when I think about it, a generation mm. um, of people um, who are above myself mm. model that for me and be like, no, it is OK. You can present authentically and still make it and get mm. something. It's interesting, so, Letitia, because it, it's something that um, so one of the um, authors of Alessa Patrick Cozier, who's been a head teacher, I think, for 17 years now, and he said it at the book launch, he said it again at the, I mean, I've kind of made him say it again, at the, the panel that we had. But he was saying that, and we were talking about, you know, how you, you know, again, it's kind of the code switching and it's, it's kind of tone yourself down. But he was saying, yeah, on his, you know, when he drives into work, he plays his reggae music really, really loud. And he says, but he's conscious that as soon as he gets near the school, he turns it down. And, you know, this kind of, you know, opened up a whole discussion during the, the meeting in, in terms of, but why? Because if it was, you know, heart radio blasting, it will be perfectly acceptable to do that. But yet, like you said, we're, we're assimilating sometimes and, and sometimes we're not even aware that we're doing it. Um, and I mean, you know, there's the whole, you know, the whole kind of other discussion about BBE and, and Black British English and all that kind of thing and where that fits into the culture and the discussion and what we're saying to our young people if we're trying to kind of say okay that this is not acceptable but this is is and this is what you should be doing but then when we're doing it ourselves and I gave the example of you know during lockdown um I used to always have my hair in braids um and during lockdown obviously hairdressers weren't open so all of a sudden I was stuck because uh, I can't braid my own hair um and so I suddenly had to have my hair out in afro and the, the, the yeah. dilemma that was inside me in terms of how am I now going to be viewed because my natural hair is out? Am I going to still be seen as professional? Am I going to be looked at by you know the parents and thinking, oh, what's happening there? But that that internal you know pressure that I put on myself to kind of like, no, it's going to be okay, and it absolutely was. But like you said, there's just so much thinking that actually it gets really tiring sometimes because you're having to think, am I saying the right thing? Am I going to get pulled up on, you know, how I say it? And if I, you know, the number of times I've wanted to you know, kiss my teeth, but it's like, okay, that's probably not appropriate to kiss my teeth at this point in time. But because that's just a natural reaction. And and, and I wrote a blog piece on, kissing your teeth isn't necessarily a swear word. And again, it, it, that's the kind of thing that seems that all you kiss your teeth, that's really disrespectful out of order. And obviously it depends on the context, but it's just a natural reaction. Um, and sometimes that reaction is needed. It doesn't mean to say, you know, but it's that curbing that you find yourself doing so much of the time because you are wanting to do what 
seems to be right and, and proper in that environment. Mm. Well, just, uh, Dave said at the beginning, experts, I'm class myself as no expert here, but uh, just uh, uh, do you think that's a deliberate, um, uh, are you suggesting that's done deliberately by us? To fit in I think sometimes it is and sometimes it's unconsciously done. We're unconsciously, I mean, and that's where the whole kind of code switching comes into it. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, that's all about the linguistic side of, of you know, the originating from, but it becomes so unconscious that we're not even aware we're doing it sometimes. It just... Mm. I can definitely, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would agree with you on that one. Um, I've noticed that even um, after I've left work, if I send a voice note to a friend, maybe within the hour of finishing work, I'll listen to it back and I'll be like, who is this woman? <laughs> Whereas if you, if, you, if you let it marinate and you let it go on for, a, you know, a bit longer, then Letitia comes out and comes back and I kind mm. of jump out of the, I kind of undo the suit and then uh, I, I then start to speak in the way that I normally would. Mm. Um, even, and, and that was a really interesting point about the reggae music and the, the kissing of the teeth, because um, those are exactly the two things that I do do, you know, mm. every morning really loud and then, you don't want to be um, deemed as being antisocial um, or you hear something in a meeting and you do kiss your teeth and you go, I'm really sorry. <laughs> it just, it, it is just like you said, a mm. natural expression. And, and sometimes I think better than what I otherwise would say. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's what, what, what you know, the, the, you know, you, I can kind of hear the arguments in terms of but professionalism, but again, for me, I mean, the, the, my, 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 my daughter, my daughter's um, did, she's 27 now, and she did sociology and social policy, and we have lots of debates. But my, my, my go-to phrase over the last year and a half has been, well, that's a social construct, um, just because I like the sound of the term, not because I know anything in depth about it. But it is the whole concept of that's just what society says we should do and how we should do things. But actually, if we were to go to another country and and behave in a certain way or do certain things it would be acceptable but because it's eurocentric and the way we do things in these schools in this country that's how you have to do it in this country but if i was to go to i don't know a west indian country um and kiss my teeth at something it would be seen as completely acceptable because that's the norm you know and so i think it's 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 having to fit into this very Victorian white middle class way of doing things that we yeah. still haven't got away from. And although you know we are we are multicultural, though you know as you both said, there are still you know different areas of the UK where it's still very much white majority. Understandably, because of you know the the, the makeup of you know the towns and, and cities, but I think it's still very much no, this is how we must do things. And it, it kind of, you know, goes back to the curriculum because Michael Gove decided this is what the history of curriculum looks like. And, you know, and, you know, white middle class, whatever school he went to, that that's, that's seen as, okay, we have to do it that way. But it's like, but what do you know about what life's like in a new city? Um, and so I think we've we've allowed ourselves to kind of be 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 held back by what other people think is acceptable um, and it's hard to push against that. It's really hard to push against that when you know you've got so many people pushing in the opposite direction. And so sometimes it does become a lot, oh, what's the point? And you just carry on. You just carry on doing what you've done for years. 
And as you've said, it's, uh, it's really made me think because a lot of what we do is probably um, unconsciously done and not uh, do act. You know, we're talking about normalising differences, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And being um, proud and vocal that being different is being okay. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'll say this now, it's a running joke. I'm an Indian man and I drink chai tea. So in my drawer now, I have chai masala. So every time I have a cup of tea, which is not often, I'd put some masala in. And anytime someone comes into my office, I'd put it away. Mm-hmm. But actually, now, but actually, when my PA is running joke now, so when Lisa's next door comes in, I'm sprinkling um, chai masala in it. And it's a running joke that I do it. But actually, it's really made me think, if another mm-hmm. member of staff was coming to the room, I wouldn't have it out. Mm-hmm. Because it's not normal to be. Yeah. And it's until until you kind of sit and think about these things, think. Never thought about it. Yeah. What what's what is that about? You know what why and 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 you're doing it to to make others feel comfortable, and this is kind of what it's like. No, it's not about others being comfortable. It's about others getting used to something different, and I think that's what that's what is hard sometimes because. Because you don't want the questions, but you just want to be able to get on with it. You just want to be able to enjoy your chai tea with masala. You just want to be able to get on with it without having people ask questions. Because this is just the tea that I like. It's different. Yes, it's different. Yes, it's di- yeah, yeah. Let me just drink it. But because people don't understand or don't want to see it, I don't understand that it's okay to be different. For a quiet life, I think sometimes we just yeah. yeah. And it's the point I made earlier about our roles, especially in schools as leaders of an ethnic group, helps to educate the white majority. You know, mm. um, my senior leaders and I, thinking about the curriculum, we're quite deliberate with some of the things that we do. For example, our assembly water that my deputy head puts together at the beginning of the year, we think about national and international events and weave in things that um, are diverse. So obviously, as an Indian Hindu man, I did the assemblies last year on Diwali. Mm. Now, of course, it's more authentic when it comes from an Indian Hindu man. And the conversations I had with children yeah. uh, the, the next few days outside at breaking lunch were fascinating. Yeah. Because for them, I'd filled a knowledge gap, yeah. a lived experience, not because they were, uh, well, they were naturally intrigued. Mm. And obviously, about the story of Rama and Sita when you're in primary school, but it's come from a book read yeah. by a white person. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, that was it was enlightening. You know, mm. when we did, and we've deliberately put in things this year mm. that have enabled us, and we utilize people within our school who mm. can deliver from a lived experience, albeit it's limited, just because my staff uh, makeup is yeah not as diverse as it would be, say, in London. Yeah. But it is things like that that is so important, I think, because, like you said, having, you know, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, lo- I love the school that I work because it is really diverse. So when we had Chinese New Year, it's like, well, you know, and the deputy head was leading on the discussion, but we had children in the school that were celebrating. We had staff members in the school that were celebrating. So it made sense for them to come and talk about it rather than us trying to talk about it and then completely getting the information wrong. And I think it's things like that that schools need to consider who they have on their teams yeah. you know that can speak from like you said their lived experience and not not because you're doing it as a token because sometimes I think it's a case of you know asking them how do you feel about doing it but you're doing it because they've got the information they've got the knowledge and like you said then for the children to be able to go to somebody and say oh okay you know talk to me more oh I heard about this tell me about this and they'll be able to dispel any misconceptions or just have that more in-depth conversation rather than coming to me and asking me like okay I'm not sure let me google it you know um so it is about schools 
making sure that where there is, you know, where there are staff or students or children that are from, or parents that, you know, that are willing to come and share, that you make the most of that. Because that, that is a rich resource that you've got in your school right there. And it's not just for Black History Month, you know, it's like you know, anything that you're doing where, you know, so when we had, when I was teaching year two um, uh, last, a couple of years ago, um, just covering, not actually teaching full time, but covering a class for year two, very short period of time, uh, we were doing Islam and one of the parents came in and spoke about it. And, you know, he gave his take on and his, he had two um, children in the class at the time and the level of pride on their faces that their dad was coming in and teaching the children. It's things like that, because then the children can ask the questions and know they're getting those answers. And they're, you know, there's a tick on the curriculum for me, but also it's that parental engagement and, and getting them to know that actually school is a place where they're invited and they're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, Dave said at the beginning about a takeaway. I think that's a great one for all of us, isn't it? Being um, really deliberate what schools do in terms of educating about the other, whatever the other mm. is, utilising your diverse staff body and parents. I mean, that's something that schools can do tomorrow. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can look at my assembly water or the uh, events that we've put into place and make sure that we have covered all grows and utilising lived experiences. So I think that, that's a good takeaway. Mm. Thank you, Bab. And that actually segues into what I was about to do now, which was lead us into that, into the takeaways section of it, sort of bringing these thoughts and ideas together to something like that. And and what I'm what I'm hearing from this and what, what you mentioned just there is about looking at that expertise and that lived experience in your community mm. um, and, and being able to have those um, authentic conversations to create that safe space for mm. inquiry and discussion and and giving that opportunity because it's it's such a shame if we make ourselves smaller to fit in with those around us mm. um and I, so we've got professor naira chamberlain is the president of the Math mathematical association this year and i heard his keynote at one of the conferences we had. And he said that, yes, it's exciting to be the first, but actually it's about making sure that you're not the last. Yeah, yeah. So I'm paraphrasing that, but I'm hearing, mm. part of what I'm hearing from all of you today is that aspect of it as well. And and I just keep coming back from, from my side of it, so I'm just, and we'll move absolutely around, is that I'm hearing that we still have that very damaging phrase, this is what we've always done. Mm. And that is applying to so many different levels and layers within our profession and our communities. Mm. Mm. And that there must be, we must do something. This, this has to be a call to action mm. and a call to arms to, to change that. Um, so that's, that's what I'm hearing. That's that's my main takeaways as such from from sort of trying to from what you've shared today. We have to change this. We all have to our entire communities. And I'm so grateful for for what you've shared and what you've discussed. And I really have to be quiet and hand over to you because it's what you're going to say that's going to be the most important takeaway for us to hear and to share. So 
Um, Dave, shall we, I didn't know if you wanted to come in now or if we come to you at the end and then hand around to other people in the room. Well, if I just sort of very quickly just share a couple of things because um, because it's what, what I want for my takeaway is to ask a question and, and to, to take and that be my takeaway this this time because um, I've, there's there's so much that I've taken from that and, and my question is that, that what can Rhiannon and I do tomorrow that's going to make that um, sort of you know movement forward uh, that, that can make a, a further difference that can um, that can sort of put some of these wrongs right. Um, I've written down um, something here where I said we want the best for all our students, um, but with such inequality, um, we clearly can't have the best leaders in position. Um, it, it just it can't be. Um, we need to do something uh, about that. And I said I wrote down it is indeed ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous to think that that's the situation that we're in. Um, so what can we do? Um, what's what's our first sort of tangible next step? that's going to to help to bring some momentum in terms of educating the majority um in in terms of sort of how, how we move this forward um and i'd like that to be my takeaway to to try and sort of you know um ask you that question if that's all right amanda mm. yeah i think i mean it, it's you know no one's expecting you to change the world tomorrow so you know you're, you're all right with that um <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's it's just being willing to have those conversations which sometimes can be difficult and I think it's knowing that, you know, if 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 you've got, because sometimes it, we talked about it at the beginning, I think Letitia mentioned at the beginning, being able to recognise people who may not be where they should be. And you know that they've got the potential and it, it's whether they are, um, whether they're kind of working to that potential. And if they're not, what is it that's stopping them? Because if you've got a teacher who's been, you know, in a role for X amount of years, and they just seem to be chugging along. Is it because they just don't feel like there's opportunities? Or is it just because they're just happy with what they're doing, which they may well be? But I think it's willing, being willing to have those conversations in terms of, and this is what we did in Greenwich, it's what is it like to be a teacher in our school, you know, a, a teacher of the global majority in our school, and being willing to hear the feedback, which can sometimes be very uncomfortable because it puts the spotlight on what's not happening. Um, and it might be, you know, when we ask teachers, you know, why, what stops them from being leaders, it was, you know, the variety of, you know, responses from, um, you know, other, you know, just not being opportunities or, or microaggressions or just clear blockages or not being noticed. It's being able to have those conversations, are, you know, what is it like? What is your lived experience working in this school? And that's what a lot of schools have started to do is, you know, whether it's commission, external people to come in and ask that question. And one of the schools got um, the SSAT to kind of do those questions to have a, it's almost like, you know, do, doing a, you know, a piece of research, but asking the question, what's your lived experience of being in our school? What's your lived experience of being in our trust? And being able to really be willing to listen and then take on board what those responses are. Because that, the only way you're going to know is by asking. Because we can make assumptions, we can say, well, this is like what it's like in this school, this is what they do here. But my my experience, Bab's experience, Letitia's experience, three very different experiences. And so only by talking to each one of us can you really understand what it's like for each one of us. And then there's then deciding whether there's a common thread that runs through that you can then act as a starting point. Lovely. Um, so, I mean, my takeaway then really from that is to, to spot the bias. Um, have those conversations, um, find out more about those lived experiences and, and take that feedback, act on it. Um, you said something earlier on about um, how sometimes the um, unconscious or conscious uh, simulation that will um, 
that, that you might do um, day to day um, is, is about um, maybe making people feel comfortable. And, and a part of my takeaway there is that um, I really don't want to feel comfortable in those conversations. I want to learn. I want to know what to do. Um, and so I think it's really important that we put ourselves in those um, potentially uncomfortable situations so that we can learn. Um, I'm sure it came across in the introduction. I found that really uncomfortable because I, I was very aware that I was talking about something very sensitive um, I wanted to learn about because I didn't have um, those lived experiences. Um, and, and now I feel already from this session that I've got a, a sort of a stronger language that I can take away and have those conversations with I feel more confident to be able to have those conversations I feel like I've got more permission to go and do that without um, sort of that fear of, of, sort of getting something wrong I see the importance and, and how even if I do and it is uncomfortable um, it, it needs to we've got to have those conversations and, and that's the sort of conversation I think I'll be having throughout my school as well um, mm -hmm. that's an extra part of my takeaway is, is just keep talking um, as well so Amanda, that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, really, that's my takeaway. Um, that's been that's been just yeah, awesome. Absolutely awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Letitia, Bav. I didn't know if either of you would like to share a takeaway for the session as well. I know I'm putting you on the spot once again yeah. today, but it would be brilliant. Um, whoever wants to go first. I'm happy to. Letitia, uh, I'm happy for you to go, Bav, and I can. <laughs> What I started with about um, getting more people into education through ITT and Amanda, you've taken that step further and you've made a valid point about um, what we do with six forms and raising aspirations. And I appreciate that's not an immediate takeaway because some of that is beyond our control here. Mm -hmm. But there is needs to be some real thinking in the education climate and the system about what we do with people of ethnic groups getting into education, then retaining them and promoting. Mm -hmm for promotion's sake, but making sure that, that that statistic that was shared at the beginning, there were so few senior leaders and in particular head teachers from an ethnic uh, minority group, that needs to change. But my takeaway that could be immediate is what I said earlier, is making sure what we do in our schools, like assembly themes, events, programmes, do reflect not only our schools, but what we stand for as a nation and utilising those lived experiences for those people to then um, lead on and share. And, I've, and we, I've shared examples of what we've done, but that's only small. And there'll be schools out there that have done some amazing things. All of us can do it immediately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think just to follow on from Bav, really difficult to, to provide a takeaway that you can do overnight because, you know, you were talking about undoing generations um, of you know kind of an embedded ideology mm. um so and I, and I think it is if, if if it was a personal takeaway for yourselves I think it would just be about um taking away the fear of getting it wrong um or at least being guided by that in some respects because I think that actually the fact that you feel quite vulnerable um in those situations is is, is a positive thing and instead of you know approaching those situations um with so much caution that actually it gets in the way of the heart of the conversations that need to be had i think that um it is really just about um maybe putting your most sensitive foot forward um but in a way that is led by positive outcomes and a willingness to learn as well mm -hmm. um i think the most powerful uh, members of staff i've ever worked with are the ones who have just said, you know, 
call me out if I've got this wrong or, you know, is it okay if I ask you something mm -hmm. and it doesn't quite land um, appropriately or if I've not quite got that right, please do correct me. Mm. Um, because often when you are humbled in your approach, uh, when it comes to these sorts of areas, um, it, it is really a breath of fresh air. Uh, as opposed to individuals who who just assume that they know best and then try mm. to uphold um, that age-old saying of oh, this is the way that it's always been done. Mm. Um, and really, I suppose, longer term, it is just about investing, identifying your voices, um, investing in those voices and creating, um, I, I don't really even want to say a kaleidoscope, almost like a kaleidoscopic lens um, through which you can look at the world and education through multiple experiences, um, maybe even apply that lens first before thinking um, about something that you might want to implement. How might what might that experience be like for our global majority? What mm. might that um, you know kind of how might that reflect in this area mm. of society? Um, and I think that you will find that there's there's a huge amount of payoff. You know, if you can hone in on those voices and also recognise the fact that your work in terms of gathering perspective will never be finished. Mm. It's, it's yeah, yeah. always ongoing and it varies across generations, genders, you know, where you've got all of that intersectionality um, and even the different ethnic groups that exist within mm. our global majority as well. Mm -hmm. That's so, so good. It's just that I'm just listening to that. It's just... Um, it's changed. It's changed the lens in in such a way that, that I can just feel those conversations tomorrow. I already feel that positivity and and taking those into those conversations, and um, I'm really looking forward to to be able to to do that. And and you you framed it in such a way where it really feels. Um, it's always felt really really necessary, but it really feels achievable um, to be able to go and have those conversations. From what you said there, um, really really appreciate that. That's lovely. Thank you so much, everybody. We're coming up to 6.30 now. Um, and there's so much to think about. And, and I'm not quite sure if it's the right way of saying it, but I almost feel like now I have mission to come out, to take those sensitive steps, to talk more openly about it, to inquire more, and to make sure that I am more aware and hopefully in doing that I'm modelling to others around me about how this could be done so that we can shape and, and learn it together because our language evolves and all of these other aspects of what we do evolve and there are certain aspects of it that, that are lagging and they are behind and we're not moving fast enough on it. And so as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's, this is... A, this is a, this is the floor from which we're starting from, not the ceiling that we've gotten to. I'm quoting you there on curriculum, Bav. And so, yeah, this, you know, this is, this is where we are currently and we're going to keep moving forwards and we're going to keep having these conversations. And we're hugely grateful to all of you for everything that you've shared to enable that to happen. But I also, I didn't know... Uh, Amanda, um, before I close it and I cut anybody off, if there was anything else also from yourself before we end the session, because your voices are the most important ones in this room this evening. No, I think I think I, I wouldn't add anything because what I would want is for, you know, the last few words, especially what Letitia and Barbara said, I think it's 
they need to be the ones that kind of stick in in the mind in terms of we've all you know said a lot tonight and I think every every you know it's been a fantastically rich conversation I've thoroughly enjoyed it um but I think it's it's everything that needs to be said has kind of almost been said and if I keep going then I won't stop so I think it's probably best that I don't say anything more but I think it's just knowing that as you said it's 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 the start of a discussion and I think it's got to continue and I think it's got to be led by those who have begun to have that understanding okay this is really important this is this this means a lot to people um and so it's it's being willing to now take that forward and say okay what what do I need to do next to make sure that this isn't just you know a one-off conversation that then goes into the archives and you know gets listened to a few times and and never gets listened to again it's like okay what do we need to do next to keep the momentum going because it's a bit like what I'm doing with the panel discussions it's like okay we've got the book but there still needs to keep something else keeps happening so it's like what what is the next thing that needs to be done using your platform to make sure the conversation still happens thank you so much I'm absolutely ending on that note there